Damn, how's it feel to be back, Johnny? Much, much better. Like, I mean, in the, when it comes to recording this. The first couple that we did while you were in Texas, you sounded great. But in our Santo episode, it sounded like you were in... An echo chamber. Yeah, like the torture chamber at the bottom of a fucking, like... Well, I didn't tell anybody, but I, I was wearing a Santo mask while recording. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was what really killed it. And instead of having, like, a pop shield on the microphone, you just had, like, an empty can of beans that you were just, like, <laughs> reverberating into. Well, I just assumed I was going to be dubbed over since I was dressed up as Santa. <laughs> yeah. All right, how you guys feeling? You want to just kind of fucking go for it? Hell yeah. Welcome to Twitch the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. I'm John. And after last week's breathless love letter to the legendary Mexican luchador folk hero El Santo... We're back with an episode that I feel like we've been talking about for what feels like forever. Since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And while we do try to cover a broad swath of psychotronic films from all genres and countries, I notice that we have a tendency to delve into the more extreme exploitation territory more often than not. And while this episode is definitely in that vein, I also kind of feel like today's show is going to be totally different from anything we've done before and i'm ridiculously excited because we will be talking about one of my favorite cult movie subgenres in the history of cinema which is pinky violence uh, if you're not familiar with the term we will tell you what it's all about but it refers to this subgenre of japanese exploitation cinema that is just so magical yeah. and I think normally when we do these kinds of episodes where we talk about a particular movie, but we also talk about a subgenre, we try to find loosely a movie that we think represents the subgenre. But what we're doing differently today is we're talking about a movie that comes kind of towards the end of the main run and is definitely rougher, more violent, a little bit different than kind of the standard and we'll talk about, you know, why and what that looks like. But the movie is one of all of our favorites. The 1974 film Zero Woman Red Handcuffs. We'll definitely spend the majority of the episode discussing Zero Woman Red Handcuffs. Let's first take a broader look at the pinky violence genre as a whole. I'm mostly curious what films were the precursors to the pinky violence movies. I mean, they couldn't have just come out of nowhere. It seems like there was, there had to have been a progression to get there. But, but first, what is pinky violence? And also, why is it called that? This is, I think, one of my favorite things to talk about because normally when we bring up a subgenre or even like a sub-subgenre, 
Most of them have such clear definitions about what they are and what the tropes are, but pinky violence is a little bit more nebulous and maybe you guys, so I want to say what my definition is and then we could see if you guys agree because I feel like different people have different ideas of what it means. So it comes from this soft core erotica genre in Japan that's just known as pinku ega or pink film. Really what that means is films with sex and nudity, which by the standards of some of our past episodes, it's pretty softcore and, and tame. But pinky violence literally just means sex and nudity combined with violence. But like, as I think you'll see from the films we're going to talk about today, to me, pinky violence movies are... Movies that are predominantly about female protagonists who are violent, violence is done to them, they're usually getting revenge for something, or they're part of this like criminal underworld. And so that's sort of what it is to me, like in, in broad strokes. Yeah, I'm, I'm with her on that completely. Every time I think of pinky violence, even though it, it's like covers a lot of ground, What's called Sukaban movies, which is like Japanese girl delinquent movies, those are the ones I immediately think of when I when I hear Pinky film. Yeah, totally. I, I thought that Pinky Violence just meant like fucking girl gang movies forever. Or just like fucking tough ladies fucking no. slicing people up. Right. It's like a subgenre of the Pinky Violence thing. Like every time when somebody says Pinky Violence, I picture Japanese schoolgirls coming at each other with switchblades. But it is a lot more broad than that. No, totally. And I really like what you said earlier, Sam, about how it's hard to define what these movies are because on the surface, when you're saying, oh, I'm watching Pinky Violence, like, it's not obvious what that means just by saying that. <laughs> but when you say, like, oh, yeah, I'm watching fucking, like, angry farm exploitation," like, you can imagine, like, oh, okay, the farm's pissed off and or, it's going to be a dirty movie about a farm. You yeah, know? <laughs> or like like Vietnam exploitation, Br yeah. Bruce Lee exploitation, nun exploitation. Everybody knows what those things mean. Totally, totally. I mean, it's funny. So the, the movie that we're eventually going to talk about later, Zero Woman, it was the first pinky violence movie I ever saw, and it was so fucking unique, and I had never seen anything like it, and I was a little scared to really start dipping my toes in the genre. because It's a fucking wild movie. And in all of them, yeah, there's always knife fights. And there's like these great fucking tropes. I feel like that's one way to describe what these movies are is these things that kind of come up a lot. Of course, there's so many subgenres within the pink films and pinky films. But even the different ones, like even the Chambara ones, like the classy fucking like samurai lady, old timey ones, like Blind Woman's Curse... Uh, or Lady Snowblood, which you can argue, I'm arguing a little bit, that feels yeah. like a pinky violence it, it, movie. So it counts as a pinky violence movie, but I guess I think of it as more of a Chambara film. Like, I don't, I guess one thing that I want to be a little careful of is I don't want people to think that, like, any Japanese movie with a woman warrior, oh, that's automatically pinky violence, which I think is sort of the impulse sometimes. Yeah. But Meiko Kaji, who we'll talk about more in a little bit, is more than just a pinky violence star. She's magical. Yeah, pinky violence to me has that sexploitation edge to it. That Lady Snowblood doesn't... I mean, you. I can say, like, exploitation in Lady Snowblood, but not sexploitation. 
Yeah. And that's the thing that I think is confusing because pink films, it makes it sound like it's a subgenre. Really, it's just any movie with sex, erotica, nudity, and that's just so nebulous. Whereas pinky violence, I think what you were saying about how there are these tropes is so dead on because like there are all these different subgenres within pinky violence, like women in prison films and the Sukeban films that John mentioned and these kind of like gambler outlaw movies and the Chambara movies that Charles mentioned, which if you don't know what Chambara is, you should a listen to our episode on the lone wolf and cub series. Uh, but also it basically, it just means period set movies, usually about the late Edo area, late Edo era and sort of samurai and, and things like that. Those are kind of my favorite of these genres because I always associate them with like super classy Kurosawa films. You know what I mean? And then when you watch like one of the and they're still filmed really classily and this like they're in that beautiful. classic Japanese beautiful way and then like some fucking gnarly ass bondage torture fucking ear slicing off action starts happening and you're like whoa like this is wild here in fairness i think japanese exploitation movies are all highly stylized and they're like yeah. ahead of the curve. You can watch some like regional American drive-in movie and it's some people got a camera and they're trying to get as much footage in the can as possible. But like no matter how like trashy the subject matter is when you're watching one of these Japanese ones, do you can tell like all the 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 camera placement, everything is deliberate and and, and often well done. so beautiful, yeah. like gel lighting and these amazing kind of like pop art decoy sets, and they're just and the clothes. Well, yeah, okay, let's let's get into the tropes. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're incredible. I feel like the whole purpose of these movies is just to look cool as hell, and like fashion is really important. Not just to the female characters, but almost even more so to the male characters who do so much preening throughout these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're always like doing that like fucking Fonzie, like lifting up their hair and like. But I think one of my favorite of the fucking tropes that happens in these movies, because they are sexploitation flicks. A lot of times, <laughs> there's this very defiant nudity that occurs. It's the best thing ever. It's like a character will like pull one of their tits out real quick but like not in like a sexual way but in this like defiant way like like look at this tattoo on my tit it's don't a, you fucking know who i it's am it's almost like a gorilla at the zoo who's like showing you how badass he is it's like he just has to present for a second yeah it, it's like the same kind of like male posturing like dick on the table shit but it's like done by like pulling their fucking tits it's defiant nudity i it's well it's also i think it's what you could think of kind of as like aggressive, proactive nudity. Like I can see that you want to exploit me and you know I'm this hot lady and maybe you're going to try to assault me or or maybe you are about to assault me. But I'm like putting it on the table that you can't bring me down. You can't make me small. You can't humiliate me because my dick is just that big <laughs> yeah. in like in the proverbial sense. And there are so many movies, especially the ones with Reiko Ike, She's where awesome. 
she just like gets naked to fight people and it's like kind of erotic but not really it's more this like intimidation tactic well, <laughs> it's well, awesome i kind of like it when they weaponize the nudity where yeah. like the dude is just gonna be like ooh, when he sees tits and then like okay now i can beat the fuck and out then of they you. cut his head off yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. well i i think i kind of want to push back a little bit on you saying that reiko iki getting naked and fighting people isn't erotic because that you shit know, is, is so hot it yeah. is oh my but... gosh the first time i saw sex and fury the opening scene is like one of the most staggeringly insane and erotic scenes where it's it's a chambar it's it's it, not exactly it's, a chambar yeah, film it's sort of it's a period set it is it is it ha- but it has this like out of time feel where like someone will pull up in a car and you're like wait a second when is this movie you know because they're all that. wearing like old-timey clothes and it has christina Lindbergh in it Oh, so yeah. random as fuck. And so, of course, there's a hot lesbian scene, oh, which yeah. a lot of these movies do have. And they're all very tastefully and er- and erotically done, like more so than the first comparison that comes to my mind is like American or even some of the European like Jess Franco women in prison films. Those have lesbian scenes, but they usually feel like hard exploitation, whereas here it's it's like these characters are taking a break from this kind of world of exploitation to just have sex for a little while. It's awesome. And that goes back to their like hangout movie vibes. Who do you think these movies were made for? Because it feels like it's equal parts like girl power, but oh, also yeah. male gaze. I mean, they're made for well, so uh, this made is for everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but this this is what's genius about them. So In a lot of places, definitely the U.S. as well as Japan, also Europe, in the 40s and 50s, nudity and sex could not be found in films unless it was like a stag film or some shit or some like super independent thing that wasn't meant for wide distribution. When the laws started to change and more films, like we've talked about this on past episodes, how people started to make these like pretend educational films so they could get nudity on screen And it got a little bit more permissible. And so you have the precursor movies in the 50s and early 60s. And I think some of the studios, like the the big studio, the big three, I think, are like Toho, Toei, and especially Nakatsu, where pinky violence movies are concerned. It was like they saw that people wanted sex and nudity and were like, great, we got to make more of these. But... We also have all these 60s movies that are about, you know, gangsters and outlaw samurai, and they're also really popular. So how can we combine it? And it's just like the most brilliant combination. Yeah, it's it's a really unique thing where it's like the time and place was just ripe for it. And all the kids that are in these movies, I mean, kids, they're like older teens, early 20s. They are kind of like the disaffected youth in the post-World War II. Like they grew up at the tail end of the war and then like after the Hiroshima bombings and things like that. And they're just like disaffected youth. And there's always like fucking shitty American soldiers around and shit. And greedy businessmen. Yeah. They're like weirdly sometimes in your face political, but even the ones that seem to not have any politics in the script, they're like low key political movies. All of them. But they definitely had their finger on the pulse because they all feel like like a great blend of like, you know, those 60s movies where it's like 
a pop singer star vehicle. And oh, like, yeah. you know, yeah. it has like that element, but also has that like French new wave, like looseness yes. to them, which was obviously really big around that time. And then on top is that exploitation movie edge. It's really the greatest combination of all time. Yeah. And it feels like so effortlessly done. Yeah. Too. It doesn't feel calculated. It just well, feels no, like a I mean, roll of the dice. And also at that time, like girl gangs were actually exploding in popularity. Like they were real things. Like we were watching all the stray cat rock films the other day, which were fucking all awesome. awesome. And I didn't realize this. I thought they were all going to be like in the same series, you know, like a continuation of one person's right, story. Right. But each one is its own separate entity, just with all of the same actors from the one before it playing different parts. And they're just like, and like so some cool. sort of crossover, like the Stray Cat movies, the one thing that I hadn't noticed before that I notice now because we watch them in a shorter period of time is that those in particular, the antagonists are often associated with this like right wing political group. And like that's sort of the through line of the Stray Cat yes, Rock the, movies. The, the people they're usually going up against or stealing from or are after them in some way are usually like Japanese nationalists and and they're usually like yeah super traditional very traditional racist like they think women should be in their place they laugh at them all the time and they undermine them and I think that that's a great way to to do politics and then to do like low-key propaganda for the good the good side because when you show the right wing doing their thing without really making a comment on it, but just showing it at how absurd and gross it is, it's so easy to see that and be like, yeah, that shit's fucking nasty. So like, even if you're, if you're like, say you're on the fence and you're a little bit traditional Japanese person watching this, you're like, wow, these fucking people suck. And the amazing thing is to comment on what you just said, but also bringing it back to something that John mentioned earlier about how effortless these feel in the past, we've talked about some exploitation tropes, like especially in Italian movies, where these producers see that something is popular and they just want some directors to make more of that thing. But I think here you have these young, innovative directors who do have those politics and who are in some way affiliated with this kind of angry youth culture pushing back on these 50s conservative values like people like Taro Ishii who we'll talk about and especially Norifumi Suzuki it, it's like you there's this sense of just like honesty or truthfulness about some of the these movies like these people believe in what they're doing it's clearly like post easy rider Yes. Oh, now that you say that, absolutely. What's crazy is how much these movies feel to me like biker flicks, like American biker flicks, even when they're not motorcycle heavy, but they have that like kind of loosey goosey drug fueled vibe where they're like making out with each other, getting into fucking fights. And then sometimes they fall into the plot like or they find the plot whenever they get the fuck around to it you know right yeah no rush <laughs> yeah. there's um there's like the cousin of the sukaban movies which are called the boncho movies in my career yeah boncho and they're like the male gang right they're they feel very much like the 60s american biker movies like yeah uh, born losers the wild ones all of them if I'm correct, I think they came out a little bit before 
the Sukaban movies. Yeah, yeah. They, I think that's like by a year where, or two. Yeah, I think that's where some of these came from. So one of the things we didn't mention, which we should, because partly because I think it's so wild, is there are dozens of these movies, but most of them were made by three to five studios from 1971 to like 75 76 so there was just this like burst yeah and that's what they come after right is those like outlaw 60s movies there's a series it's delinquent boss and then they made a series called delinquent girl boss which gets confusing with the first Stray Cat Rock movie, which is Stray Cat Rock Delinquent Girl Boss. I have I have been swimming in like a soup of I don't know what the fuck. Yeah, break it down for us. So Delinquent Boss, then Delinquent Girl Boss. And then the Katsu was like, let's cash in on this. And they did Stray Cat Rock Delinquent Girl Boss, which I also think is called like Alley Cat. Yeah. 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 There's a bunch of alt titles to that. That's another thing. I mean, I love those Japanese titles where it's something, something, colon, something, something, something. Yeah. Like, it, it makes it sound like it is part of a series. Like, what's the one Seishin Suzuki one? Oh, uh, Detective Bureau 2 3 colon go to hell bastards yeah. <laughs> but even like the even like the godzilla movies would be like you know godzilla uh meets Ghidorah assault on mount fuji or something and i which I, is I like amazing them. yeah i really like that like long title yeah i also like that approach to doing a series where like you were saying earlier it's it's like they are part of the series but it's not the way that like an American director would make a film series where they're all little literal sequels of each other. And while I don't think we'll have time to talk about all of them, there are definitely some core series. If you want to get more into pinky violence, definitely the stray cat rock movies, terrifying girls, high school, which is such a great title. They all have the best titles. Yo, the, the second terrifying girls, high school, which it's full title is terrifying girls, high school colon, Lynch Law Classroom. And, and isn't there also Terrifying Girls High School Worthless to Confess, which Fuck. is another no, one? No, that's Delinquent Girl Oh, boss. right, right. I, um, <laughs> no, the, um, I love it. No, the, the Terrifying Girl High School one is, is it's Terrifying Girls High School Delinquent Convulsions. Yeah. Which is like, I don't even know <laughs> so what that means. Cool. I love that like delinquent cool. is like, yeah, that's, I, that's the like the go back to title. Right. Thing. And it fits like the theme of these movies. Totally. Like it's that yeah. perfect oh, yeah. word. And a, a lot of them are, it's so weird how they're very fun and poppy and jazzy and art artful, but still they're also nihilistic. They'll have violent. happy endings sometimes, but like it, it always feels like sometimes like well, what was the fucking point of all of that? But then yeah. they're like, yeah, whatever. And then the song starts up again, and they go back to dancing, and it's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> they're playing to the angst of their audience, which I think is kind of nice. Yeah, and makes them feel, even though they're from the early seventies, they they're still like. Sometimes I feel, and you know, not everybody might agree with this, but definitely watching those American 60s biker movies, like the uh, AIP ones, they feel so dated and like they have all this like lingo and people are trying to be cool. But these movies are still fucking cool 40 years later. Yeah, absolutely. Even though also I don't think we said another one of the tropes 
is most of these movies, like these kids rarely seem to have parents or home lives or families and their home base in a lot of these movies is a club or a bar that everybody will return to. Yeah. Where there's always some fucking band playing. Totally. Like, it was so crazy. Like, there was a scene in one of the Stray Cat Rock flicks. I think it was. Who knows? But there was this fucking scene where there was this, like, gnarly gang fight where, like, one person got, like, brutalized and was just, like, oh, fucking. Oh, Sex Hunter. Yeah. Se- oh, yeah. The third uh, Stray Cat Rock. And, like, someone might have died and everything was, like, terrible. And then they cut back and they're all back at the fucking bar. But, like, they brought him to the bar to bandage him up at the bar. Yeah, they're fixing him (laughs) up at the bar. And it's just like, what the fuck, guys? Like, don't you have a house? And I think maybe the implication is that they don't. Yeah, and it seems like their families are their gangs, which I think is another kind of loose true to life connection is with these like Sukaban t- like teenage girl gangs i think there was this feeling that japanese culture was super repressive for women and they didn't want these cookie cutter lives where they had to marry a banker and not have any life of their own so they are rejecting conventional society and starting their own families yeah, and fucking cutting each other up with switchblades. Who yeah, doesn't fucking love that? But it's also that? like how the Yakuza operates, which you see reflected in these movies. Like a lot of them, they are fighting the Yakuza or they're part of it. Well, that's, that's another thing. It's not even just like the mainstream, like home style life. Also in gangs, the reason there were Japanese girl gangs was because girls weren't allowed in japanese gangs so they had to make their own gangs yeah like the the yakuza yeah yeah but also bancho yeah like girl no girls and you see that i think as plots or subplots in a lot of these movies is like you were saying earlier the the male gangs or like the male toughies they look down on the women and act like you know what can you do and which is why they get like run over by motorcycles and thrown (laughs) off of buildings and set on fire yeah (laughs) by hordes of angry cute lady bikers Like Charles mentioned earlier, a lot of these different series have re- recurring actors and you start to recognize people, which is, you know, wonderful but confusing because you're like, wait, which one was this guy in? Yeah. But there are three, like, undisputed queens of pinky violence. One of them is Meiko Kaji, one is Reiko Ike, and the other one is Miki Sugimoto, who stars in Zero Woman, who we'll talk about a little bit later. But Yeah, Miko Kaji, to me is the queen the fucking queen like the stray cat rock flicks aside the female prisoner films are just incredible they are to me like the cream of the crop the top tier of these movies and i remember the first time that you showed me scorpion or female prisoner 701 scorpion or whatever (laughs) i was like not excited for it because I'm not a big fan of women in prison movies. I think they're usually just kind of trashy little oddities. Like sometimes they're fun in marathons or something, but uh, they're not really my cup of tea. Cause they, just they like, tend to be pretty repetitive, pretty even though I like them. And just like mean, sweaty and just kind of gross. 
And when you put on this movie and the title card came up, Female Prisoner 701, I was like, oh, great, a fucking nasty. Another one. Another one of these. And it wasn't like anything I've ever seen before. It was beautiful and and super erotic and super mean spirited just as i you would expect it would to be but it was just incredible and then like the fucking like the last chunk when they're having the fucking showdown against the pigs it was so cool yeah i love makokaji so much for my patreon a couple months ago i did like a six week theme where I just did essays and video essays about her and her work. Cause I love her so much. And I don't want us to talk about female comic Scorpion too much because I want to do an episode it, on them. Yeah. That yeah. series deserves its own for episode. sure. For and, sure. And I think she deserves a full, especially like once we've already given a pinky violence intro and we can get a little bit more in depth. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. Miko Kaji is yeah, she's the greatest. Yeah. That first one's not just like my favorite Pinky Violence movie. That's one of my favorite like Japanese movies. Yeah, or it's movies. Cool. In Me general. too. So I love the whole series, and but the first two are yeah. some of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, I'm I'm stingy with my five star reviews on Letterboxd, but Female Prisoner seven hundred one. That's that's an easy one. I it's and it's that so song. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, Miko Kaiji is her music is so fucking good. And- yeah, okay. Can we talk about this for a second? Because this is a question that I o- often like have in the back of my mind is a lot of the major stars in Japanese cult cinema like Miko Kaji, and a lot of the stars in Hong Kong cinema of both mainstream and cult movies. They're all fucking pop singers. And why is that not a thing in like British or American movies? Hey, we got Will Smith, remember? He, he did oh songs God, for shit. Oh my God, stop it. I feel like they're, they tried that a bit though. I feel like... Yeah, that happened in like the 50s and 60s. Yeah, and maybe a little bit in the 70s because I feel like Tiffany Bowling did something. Yeah, but for it like wasn't... Wicked Wicked. But yeah, yeah, it's not like a normal thing. And it seems like it's like every cult movie star. It's like, oh... Here's Yuan Bu dropping his latest hit record. <laughs> it's like what when when did these people have time I, to to be like master martial artists on screen and also pop singers? I wonder if it's because exploitation movies over here in America is sort of like outsider stuff. Like, While over there like Toei, I mean, they made exploitation movies that are like they're exploitation movies to us, but in Japan at the time, I assumed they were actually pretty mainstream. Yeah, and I think these Pinky Violence movies are a good example of how there's a lot of crossover between what we would think of as art house cinema. Like people talk about like Nagisa Oshima and Shoei Imamura. Yeah. They're considered major art house directors in the West, but they made exploitation movies too. That, that really is why I love these films, and I think that they are so different from. All of the fucking dirty, nasty movies we've talked about in the past, because the level of just avant-garde artistry—it's—it's it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't expect to, to see in a fucking movie that opens with a bunch of high school girls draining the blood out of some other girl <laughs> who is like their enemy or who has—they need to discipline someone by draining all their fucking blood and then throwing them off the roof of the fucking high school. And then like. 20 minutes later there's this scene that's like draped in orange light 
and this guy who they just like fucking all the girls like raped and filmed and to get him fired uh yeah that happens they're like singing this song as he walks down the sunlit Oh, it's the uh, like, it's the, oh, prin- yes. it's the it's the yes. principal of the school, and and it's just like why are like this is gorgeous. we're talking about Lynch law class Lynch law yeah. classroom yeah. yeah, and it's it's something that you just you don't expect that shit to be in such a dirty movie, and then when you get it, it's like why why can't this be in every dirty fucking no. movie? Well, it's <laughs> the it's the golden formula of you find a director who wants to be Fellini, <laughs> and you team him up with a producer. Who just wants? Who to wants get... to be Russ Meyer? Exactly, and you put them together, and it's just like yeah, magic. Wow. It's the greatest yeah. thing on earth. Yeah. Do you think um, exploitation film director Maverick, Jack Hill, saw or was aware of Pinky Violence movies? Uh, so I've wondered that because what were Jack Hill's movies? Switchblade, Switchblade Sisters, Sisters, Coffee, the um, the Big Dollhouse. Like yeah. they all feel like they could have been. Pinky movies. Yeah, they're so they're very similar, but I and I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days. I'm a huge fan of Switchblade Sisters. I got to do a commentary for the Arrow release that came out a year or two ago, which was like a bucket list moment. But ultimately, as much as I love those kinds of American exploitation movies, like anything with Pam Greer is solid gold. Right. But I prefer the pinky violence movies because I think they are more feminist for lack of a better word. Like they just have so much more for the female stars to do and they take them more seriously as badasses. Yeah. Like Pam Greer aside. She feels like the closest American equivalent to like a Miko Kaji. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you could do some really interesting double features going back to back with stuff like Lynch Law Classroom and Switchblade Sisters. And in Switchblade Sisters, even though they are badass and fight each other they the film sort of presents this world in which like they aren't qualified to fight the men like it gives you that vibe whereas that doesn't happen very often in pinky violence movies like they take a beating and they're often you know tied up and tortured and raped but it just feels different also on a technical level like the japanese ones are a lot more energetic while jack hill feels more like traditional hollywood his camera is always a bit more nailed down but i was just thinking because i know like he went to the philippines a lot to make movies for roger corman the the big yeah yeah. Yeah. so i wonder if like he just somehow crossed paths with this pinky violence thing and he's like oh you know and then that just got the gears right it's just me yeah, it, theorizing I mean, It a could bit. be, because, I mean, a lot of filmmakers and Hollywood people watched foreign films yeah. back then. They weren't, like, you know, yeah, in a bubble. Yeah, there, there was definitely a lot of interplay. I mean, I think where Pinky Violence arguably came from is the birth of exploitation films in the late 50s and early 60s, thanks to Russ Meyer and Herschel Gordon-Lewis, once Japan realized, holy shit, there's a huge market for these kinds of CD movies. Let's put some of this content in our pink films. There was a pink film in the late 60s, much like I Am Curious Yellow. It had a big... Crazed like, Fruit. 
Is that it? Yeah. Okay. And this one, I actually had like court cases and the guy had to go to like, you know, court and argue. Um, the merits of the film. Exactly. And, and like he was charged with obscenity and all this stuff and he won. And once he won, like the floodgates opened. Th- and that's, yeah. that's the, the case with so many of these like extreme cult subgenres is that there were people that had to fucking like go before the firing squad to defend the shit. And when they triumphed, that's when, like you said, the floodgates opened. I mean, it happened in fucking Hong Kong. It happened in the U.S. I mean, like, that shit is... Well, one of the movies we were talking about the other day, which I have been dying to see but still haven't seen that I know you both love, is Gate of Flesh was one of the first to have nudity in a mainstream film. So it's like... People like Seijin Suzuki, I think, were so influential, not just in the way sex and violence is portrayed in Japanese cinema, but also to American filmmakers as well. Like It was the first Japanese mainstream movie to have nudity. Yeah, yeah. And his yeah. and his eye for associating characters with colors, that I think carries over into a lot of these pinky violence films. And especially Zero Woman Red Handcuffs in a number of scenes. So I think what we've been talking about, this like interplay between softcore sex films and art house movies and Western influence results in these main studios that we've been discussing, like Nakatsu and Toei, kind of competing and trying to make all these movies that are sort of upping the ante over each other in the early 70s. Which is sort of how we get to Zero Woman in 74 is, you know, you've had these kinds of girl gang movies like the Stray Cat Rock series and the girls in high school fighting each other like Lynch Law Classroom and stuff like that that we've been talking about. But one of the things that I think is so different about Zero Woman is she's... I feel like it has more in common with the female comic Scorpion movies than the sort of pinky violence we've been talking about because she's this like lone wolf undercover violent police officer like it's so different yeah this one's very atypical in the in the pinky violence oh for sure for sure i like like i said earlier i was expecting all of the movies to kind of be like this and some of them i mean you can see where how this came of those films but this is very singular within the genre. But it does have that like classic, <laughs> like pinky violence opening where they, a lot of these movies they open with like a real fucking a bang, like a crazy draw to like let you know what you're about to fucking get into. And this has that like cool, sexy club dance scene where like the zero woman who's she's awesome. Yeah, Miki Sugimoto is definitely my second favorite after Meiko Kaji and. She just is, like, the queen of cool. Yeah, she's in this fucking, like, red suit. or this. It almost kind of looks like the the overcoats they wear in, like, those, like, French fucking bank yeah, robbery it's, it's flicks. Yeah, it's a trench coat. Yeah, yeah, she's got this, like, bright red trench coat, like, fucking Carmen Sandiego. And she's, like, dancing in this, like, groovy-ass club. And there's, like, this, like, sketchy, middle-aged, dumpy American guy. And he's, like, checking her out. And and he's like pouring fucking uh, Johnny Walker, Johnny Walker Black, getting her all drunked up. And, you know, he's like, oh, hey, baby, you want to come back to my place? But the next scene is her in his bed getting stripped by this like 
nasty fucking weird American old man. Apparently drugged. Like, it implies that he yeah. drugged her. Yeah. And he, like, goes back and he opens up this torturous bag of, like, bondage material and It's a shit. serial killer suitcase. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. And it cuts back to the fucking Zero woman. And she's standing up with her tits defiantly out. And she throws a bunch of fucking photographs at this guy. And she rips up his passport. Apparently, he's like this big fucking yeah, U.S. He's like a diplomatic attache. So he has one of those diplomatic passports. That... Yeah. Yeah. He's like some fucking American big shot. And she throws these photographs at him that basically are like all these women that he's like. Well, no, it's her friend that he murdered. Oh, it's her friend? Yeah, the, the movie, like, really skates past this detail super fast, but it's like it starts off with this quick revenge scene because he killed one of her friends. Yeah, in, in the same way that he was gearing up to kill her in this scene. Right. But when things go over the fucking edge, she pulls out these red handcuffs that are like these there's like a weird six foot it's yeah yeah, they're fucking huge there's like a 10 foot long chain and she fucking throws him at the guy and he gets like wrapped up in him and he's like bleeding and she shoots him in the fucking dick with this little red gun and he falls into a pool good for her and it's like that's how we open the flick and then it immediately cuts to her in in prison and you learn that she's a cop and she kind of went rogue killing a fucking diplomat well, and now think, she's in jail well, i think the implication is that she's part of this undercover unit that is authorized to use more violence because as you learn in this movie which is also true of many other pinky violence movies that authority is corrupt and people in positions of power are really just there to take what they can get so like the police chief or the head detective who's her boss he is working for this politician and he turns out to be awful. And like, you see that in so many of these movies. Well, one of the reasons I think this movie is more scuzzy and nihilistic is because a lot of pinky movies, the villains are Yakuza and you kind of expect that from them. But in this one, it's the cops, it's, it's the authority figures. And like, and it's not to say that it's rare in these type of movies, which it isn't, but for some reason, extra brutal, right? Because you always in the pinky violence movies, almost always deal with the criminal underworld element. Like that's where the movies take place. And the fact that no, this is like the the seedy authority figures just makes it even more. Well, that, that comes up later in the film. Yeah. Like that's like, kind of like, the later reveal of who like the real fucking villains are the whole time well no it it comes up pretty early on so i i don't think we said the loose plot is basically this important politician who's up for maybe being the president of the country in the future or something like that his daughter gets kidnapped and Mickey Sugimoto's character is let out of prison on the contingent that she finds the daughter and kills all of the kidnappers because the politician doesn't want the kidnapping made public because it will hurt the daughter's chances of getting married to this rich guy that he wants her to get married to. And that's established pretty early on that she's supposed to kill the kidnappers. Yeah, I think he's like a bigwig businessman. And his daughter's engaged to like another bigwig businessman's son. And now that she's kidnapped, he doesn't want the scandal. So they give, I don't think she's a zero woman in the beginning. I think like 
Now she's in she's prison. She's a regular cop, and right. then she becomes a zero woman. And yeah, they just give her this clandestine thing. It's like, get yeah. her out of here. Murder everybody. No evidence. No, no it evidence. was 100%. Like, I thought this was like fucking Escape from New York, where she's this fucking badass who's in jail. You know, the her chief of police guy comes to her and is like, yo, we got a mission for you. You, you can get out of here, but we got to murk all these fucking scumbags. You have to go find Donald Pleasance in the island of Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> but, and so she gets out of jail to go on this fucking one-woman murder mission. It's pretty much female Dirty Harry versus Last House on the left. Yeah. Yes. That's... But, but with like that, uh, if I'm pretty sure everybody listening is a fan of the Fukasaku Yakuza battles without honor and humanity. Oh, they're great. Yeah. that With that kind of like camera eye watching the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. We have to also do a episode on one of those because i feel like there are plenty of people who know what they are but might not know how wild and awesome they are yeah and bunta is one of the coolest fucking dudes in any movie ever he definitely is one thing i don't think we said so it probably goes without saying that a lot of the pinky violence movies, and I think we talked about this a little bit, do have sexual violence. Like there are rape scenes, there are these sort of sexualized torture sequences, but Zero Woman and probably Female Convict Scorpion and some of the sequels have the most extreme sexual violence where there are these scenes of gang rape. And it's, I think, probably the most over the top in Zero Woman Red Handcuffs where the this gang of kidnappers that she's up against are these just like crazy chaotic gang rapists who have very little in the way of like common sense or rational thought or or, morals. or humanity yeah so she rescues one of them like she basically helps him get away from the cops so she can follow him back to the lair to find yeah, the, she, the yeah she gets ingratiated with them by by doing a good deed you know by by busting them away from the from the cops and then like when she's back in the house with all of them the first thing they basically do is they're like how do we know she's one of us and then they fucking just drag her upstairs and it's it's so harrowing because there's this character who's the fucking title character who's like fucking so badass and like fucking killing people with handcuffs and these little red guns and she's so fucking cool and then she gets tied up and raped by these three dudes and during the assault there's like this fucking avant-garde like red bleeding light when the first guy's on her and then when the second guy's on her it's purple and then it's blue and it's just like and and the whole time she's just like stone-faced and you can tell she is already gonna fucking they're dead like they're already dead but you oh god no i was gonna say you get the weird sense that and maybe this is gonna come across as being sort of offensive but the way that she acts later on in the movie when she shows you how much of a badass she is you get the sense that she kind of lets them do it or lets them think that she's defenseless and this is kind of the price that she's chosen to pay. 
Like it's such a weird. Yeah. No, no, you're going the route where I was just about to go. Where I th- her, like you get, the man with no name is fucking super shot, quick shooter. Her superpower is detachment. She, you can throw anything you want at her. She, she doesn't just, give a shit. Yeah, she just sits there blankly, takes it, and then at the end, eventually, just catches up with you and kills you. And even then, she's not taking any like sadistic like There's vigilante no, yeah. justice it's just business as usual like every that's one of the reasons i like about this movie is that everybody's disgusting there is like from like the power powerful authority figures to like the disgusting gang members yeah and to the cops to everybody it's just, and like to her it's like nothing's personal it's just a fucking job and she just that's yeah. how she 86 and, is and everyone. remember when when the first kidnapper gets killed by the cops in that reedy like yes riverside which, fucking which spot? she sets him up to do oh yeah. yeah she she sets every one of them up the ones that she doesn't kill by her own hand she's the one that they got him got him murked but in that scene it's the, it's the kidnapper guy that's got the glasses he's like he's trapped by the cops like by all these reeds and they're like questioning him he looks over and he sees two cops who are like wearing like regular ass cop outfits, just like digging a grave. Yeah. And that's when he realizes like, Oh, they're not going to arrest me. Yeah. I'm dead. Right. And like that scene is so fucking intense. It's, it's, it's so nihilistic. Like it takes place in a sewer, you know, like e- ethics, morals, they're all drained away. It's not like escape from New York where yeah, Snake Plissken's an anti-hero, but you still have this sense of like honor and justice from him. There's nothing like yeah, that in this movie. That's also what makes it different than female convict Scorpion. So in the Scorpion series, Mako Kaji's character is similarly capable of great detachment, but she gets herself into these different kind of adventures, for lack of a better word, because she cares about people, especially in the sequels. Yeah, and it's a like, lot of solidarity. Yeah, especially yeah. among female prisoners. Or, so it's, it's so different from zero woman because even though she's this lone wolf the movies are about how she forms relationship with people and community with certain people like other disenfranchised women and there's none of that in zero woman right even the first female prisoner scorpion she's trying to get like her ex-fiance or ex-boyfriend who fucked her over yeah she's got a a personal mission exactly yeah zero woman no this is she knows the world she lives in it's awful She's yeah. mentally prepared to do anything. She lives there. She knows what it is. And I I like that about it. it's Yeah. This movie's closer like it doesn't have that like playful fucking like fuck you to the man of other pinky violence. This is closer to like like rabid dogs and almost human it's and stuff so like that. Yeah. Similar oh. to rabid dogs. And yeah, those Polizioteschi films like this feels like one of those for yeah. sure for yeah, sure it's it's like a weird bridge between because i one of the things i don't think we said is a lot of the pinky violence movies have not quite like the tonal whiplash of category three hong kong films but they have these like super violent scenes and these kind of cruel sadistic scenes but they also have a lot of the hangout scenes you mentioned where people are just standing around being cool and they also have a lot of humor yeah, these movies are usually really, really funny, and not Zero Woman. But I don't, I don't know. I, I there's one thing that kind of 
Okay, so I recently got into an argument with someone who was making these sort of like blanket statements about how pinky violence films uh, were all just rapey trash. Which is what people, some people think. Yeah, and and like, and then they're all like truly bad or like bad cinema or something. Th- and that's just so fucking insane. Yeah, it got because... me heated. Like, I mean, even like fucking less artful entries like the fucking Terrifying Girls High School series. There's like so much imaginative bonkers shit happening that it's like this is I mean, I, I OK, I get it. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but like don't, but, but, don't just write it all off. Right. But only even on like a superficial level, like these movies are like so stylized in like very wild and imaginative ways that despite you know, you might not like them on an ethical level. You can't. Oh no, totally. Like I understand. You can't someone... denounce the talents of like the craftsmen. Mm, yeah. of... for sure. But I mean, yeah, I, I get that there are people who who cannot watch sexual violence in films or in media. That it's like that the portrayal is just like too gut wrenching and like triggering. And like, I I get that. But like, I mean, even if you were, say you were to compare these films to like American and European exploitation films like we've been doing, there are just such stark differences in the way that rape and assault and revenge are portrayed. I mean, like like we were talking about earlier with that, like that group assault on the zero woman. I mean, I feel like th- it it isn't ruining her. It's there. There's no like she's not being like. Like, she's not gonna be less of a person after this, you know? Yeah, which is the really, I think, you know, I've talked about this on past episodes where I like all different kinds of exploitation subgenres. And I am not somebody who is turned off by sexual violence in cult movies. But I do think a lot of those American films. And this is something that shows up throughout American media in so many different ways. There's this kind of implication that rape and sexual violence, it's the worst thing that can happen to you. It ruins your life. It makes you less of a person. Yeah, that you're, you're, you're so you're so diminished. And, and often in those movies, like... Yeah, you've been soiled. That when they do get their, like, their, quote, revenge, it's, like, rarely satisfying, you know? Or it's it's... And it's rarely empowering in any way. It's usually like so cartoonish and it's... I I think one of the most vile parts of the rape revenge genre is that a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them feel like the revenge is just there as a get out of jail free card by the filmmakers. Yeah. Like when you see I Spit on Your Grave, it's been a while since I've watched I Spit on Your Grave, but it feels like the filmmakers wanted, like you're paying your ticket to see the gang rape. And they put that revenge at the end because it's like, oh, well, she gets that back at them at the end. So it's all OK. But really, a lot of these movies feel like it's for the raincoat crowd to see this kind of roughy style shit in, in a movie. Yeah. And not all of them, obviously. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and I don't mean to sound like cavalier or as if like experiencing trauma in real life isn't well traumatic, but like Miko Kaje, Reiko Iki and like. I mean, all these fucking people, they're so powerful and capable that even at their lowest, they're they're still fucking them. And and like to write these movies off as rapey trash is just so fucking misguided. I mean, well, so this sort of brings me back to my 
hill that I am prepared to die on, which is like when people, sometimes people write us on Instagram and I, I know that I shouldn't get angry about this because some of it is just like a cultural thing and people grow up learning to talk about cult movies in a certain way. Like, oh, this is, you know, trash cinema. And we've had people comment on Instagram posts like, oh, I love this movie. It's so terrible. And it's like, no, it's not terrible. <laughs> Don't make me come to your house. Sam, if, if you had all of the hills that you're prepared to die on, you'd have a fucking mountain range. And know? I do. And that's fine. But like even <laughs> even other bloggers and critics do it like a couple years ago. And I, I feel bad. I don't even remember what the writer's name is, so I'm not really throwing him under the bus. But there's this site called Daily Grindhouse where they mostly talk about horror and exploitation movies. And this writer was reviewing Cat Shea's Strip to Kill movie, which is a whole series. Cat Shea is this female director who made a number of these like wild uh erotic thrillers called strip to kill that are great we'll have to do an episode on them at some it point sounds interesting to me yeah. no, it you, sounds you, my wheelhouse you would love them yeah. <laughs> but the entirety of this review is like you know i'm talking about this movie that's a relic from the past the movie's made in like 91 so it's it's not like <laughs> this is the, the 1920s yeah, yeah, yeah people love washing blood off their hands that's not even on their fucking hands well, that's not even blood it's like they're literally washing fake blood off someone else's hands and it's like what are you doing who are you carrying water for here but like a site that is called Daily Grindhouse. Right. It's not like he's writing for the fucking New Yorker or some shit. He spends the whole review saying that exploitation movies and movies with sexual violence are deplorable and we shouldn't watch them and they couldn't be made. It they could only like the, be made in a certain time and place. And it's like, people still make movies like, like yeah, Paul Verhoeven it, is still making yeah, movies. It's, like honestly, this. it sounds like this person should be writing for fucking slash film, which, and like, you know yeah. what? Like you said a minute ago, it's totally fine to not like these movies. Oh yeah. But if you're writing from a perspective, whether it's in a forum or in an Instagram community or among your friends, like, if you like the films, talk about them with respect. Don't just like put them into the trash can and act like it's fine. Right. Like I can see if you're writing for some nerd culture website and you're like, look what I found. And usually like people are talking about like Funko Pops or who's going to be oh my Guardians God. of the Galaxy 6 or, you know, I can see I'm that. already angry now. Don't make it worse. But yeah, if you're writing for Daily Grindhouse, you kind of should like the audience should have you ha should have a read of the room. You know, they should know. Well, should I send back the Funko Pops that I had made of all of us, the Twitch of the Death Nerve uh, Funkos? But we do live in this kind of fucking like hipster blogger time where everything that's like lo-fi or dated is immediately put in the soap ad it's good category. yeah it's like you have to put everything down you can't uh, like respect something like uh, reading like contemporary reviews of the original texas chainsaw massacre melt my fucking brain yeah and and, and even when you see these movies in in theaters when there's like a 35 millimeter like revival that's playing fucking you know some old fucking cool flick and everyone's just cracking up laughing the whole time like at every single fucking either like Oh my God, Possession. Like, so the Zhuavsky film Possession was restored. The restoration looks amazing about 
like six months to a year ago, it did this kind of touring circuit and you could see it in theaters. I have seen all of his films. I'm writing a book about them. I love him. I did not go. And I'm so glad I didn't because I heard from our friend Josh, like, okay, I went to the screening and the movie looked great, but people just laughed the whole fucking time. And it's this like devastating movie about the horrors of divorce. It's like, why do you have to laugh at everything? And these are people who treat like insidious for like, it's the fucking exorcist. (laughs) I'm dead serious. Like these are the people that like, sit through like 15 minutes of fucking Marvel movie credits for like the cut scene that like, Oh, blurp blurp is going to be in the next one. And it's just like, well, they set blurp blurp up in the last one. So we kind of knew he was coming. It's just, it's blurp blurp related to Jar Jar Binks. No, 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 no. 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 Jar Jar Binks (laughs) is canceled. Actually. You should probably be careful about making cavalier jokes about Jar Jar Binks, (laughs) but it's just like, uh, I don't know. I, I fucking hate Yeah, people. you took us down a path yeah. here that I'm sorry. If I went to see, like, Blood and Black Lace and people were laughing, I'd turn into that fucking Dark Knight shooter kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Is that too far? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, but I, I get, I get, like why these sorts of things are so frustrating because to the original point that you're trying to make like these movies are doing something so unique and they're made by these incredibly talented people and I just it frustrates me so much that it seems like people have to write things off and diminish things to feel cool it's basically like the cultural version of negging like When I want to date you, instead of just being straightforward and saying, hey, you know, are you interested? I like you. I think you're attractive. It's like, no, instead, I have to make these jokes about how I'm better than you. And that's basically what people are doing with the art that they claim to enjoy. It's maddening. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Rant over. And like the thing is, like, I even enjoy like the so bad it's good. Like I can watch Miami Connection and fucking shit. I can't. I know people like that's all they watch. And like that seems so fucking totally like I mean, listen, like we're not fucking knocking, laughing and having a good time. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, we're not that fucking, you know, I I was just telling Charles recently my secret passion for bad Dracula movies that were made for like five hundred dollars. Yeah. Like, yeah. Movies can be so bad. They're good. And like. And you can also be a little fucking respectful about it. Uh, yeah, you know no, I mean? like, like not every time I laugh at a bad special effect, I'm feeling like I'm above it. Sometimes it's endearing, you know? It's, it's usually endearing. Yeah, it's like, look yeah. at what little they had and they still fucking went for and it. And they still and got off the fucking couch and stopped arguing with people on the internet and actually did something of creative value. Yeah, but it's like, but seriously, if you're seeing like, I mean, if you're watching a fucking old movie in theaters, like, and the whole crowd is just laughing the whole fucking time. It sucks. You know, yeah. like, listen, the room is going to be playing at your local theater once a year for the rest of your oh life. You want to go fucking hoot and holler. There right. you go. And maybe instead of going to see the room, you could just rent or ask us to send you a bootleg file yeah. of oh a pinky God. violence movie, yeah. many of which are available in great Blu-ray editions. So recently uh, someone liked our uh our like hollow or no, i'm sorry our christmas episode instagram post yeah and then dm'd me like hey what movie is this and it was christmas evil and i was like oh it's christmas evil and it was like oh is it it's an r-rated movie and i was like 
yeah. <laughs> and and then I looked at his uh, his page and it was all in what I thought at first was Arabic. And then he's like, yo, can you send me this movie? And I was like, yeah, dude, where, what, what country are you in? And he's like, oh, I'm in Iran. And I realized, oh, it's Farsi. And now I'm sending this fucking cool Iranian dude fucking uh, Christmas evil because... Spreading joy throughout the yeah, land. So, you know, if, 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 you know, you really, really need to watch a movie and you, you reach out to us... We can at least tell you where to find it. Yeah, or, or, or I'll send you the file. You know? we'll, we'll do a Discord marathon. If, if we get yes. enough likes, if you guys hear this <laughs> yeah. and you say, yes, I want a Discord marathon from you guys, we'll do it. <laughs> but people have been asking. We just yeah. have to figure, figure out what we would want to show. But we do have a Discord channel now. We do. We got a Discord. Uh, feel free to DM us for a link if you're is, if you're not in. And... Is everybody just so used to watching these fucking like sterile laboratory Disney movies? Is that it? Is that has that poisoned everybody? Where if your movie doesn't look like a five hundred million dollar video game cutscene, it's cheap and bad. Yes, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm on. Yo, the you are fired yeah. up. Yeah, Yo, this I'm is so glad to have you home, John. People. I've missed you so much. They're man. just it's... so terrible. <laughs> That's why watching these Pinky Violence movies can also, and we didn't even really talk about Taro Ishii, but oh yeah, yeah. Oh well, I we'll save that for another yeah, episode. Yeah, but yeah, some he's of in these, a fucking category of his some own. of these are just so cathartic to watch because yeah. of those, like maybe not Zero Woman, but because of well even to a degree that you could interpret that as a sort of happy ending where the people that you think are going to be killed survive to live another day but a lot of these do have these great endings where it's like in lynch law classroom they destroyed the entire high school and set cop cars on fire and like yeah. it just no, it's it's awesome. i think it's a that joy. Yeah. the rebellious message of these movies is like you can't fix things you just have to fucking raise it but yeah it doesn't yeah, matter you know that you can't fix them and that's you like still fucking, have to yeah, rebel they're, yeah they're a so, fucking tumor you totally don't, you don't and, you don't fucking talk a tumor into like maybe being a bit more respectful and changing things you carve it the fuck out of your arm yo and radical john <laughs> you know like, yes yeah i mean and like and to me like that is at the heart of a lot of anarchist politics is that like the argument is is you know you're wasting your time trying to reform institutions that were made to oppress you to fucking like keep you right. silent to keep you placated or to fucking punish you in some way and that, like, the idea of, like, prison reform or, or fucking uh, reforming the police or something like that, it, it's it's a fucking pipe dream. It, there, there's no reformation possible. The only thing you can possibly do is set fire to these fucking prisons, Good. set fire to these fucking police stations, raid them of all of their ammo, pass it out to the proletarian, and fucking, I don't know, do whatever you want with it. You know? not, not that we're saying you should do that. But that's no. what these pinky violence movies would tell yes, you to do. Yes. No, yeah, yeah. We do not endorse that kind of behavior, but these films seem to sometimes. Yeah, I think like the the like the respectful <laughs> chatty way, you should reserve it for like your neighbors who like might not like pay attention to certain things as much as you and you oh, can yeah. talk to them like in a and still treat them like they're human. Well, yeah, yeah. No, your neighbors are definitely human. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I know like a lot of people. They might who, be lizard people. They get like far <laughs> gone and they talk down to a lot of people about this stuff. It's like, no, you're not going to win anybody over. But, you know. Yeah. Well, and I also feel like that idea of why do something if it's not going to have X guaranteed X end result 
is capitalist thinking. Yeah, it, it's like it's, why it's does trap. something have to have a result it's for a you trap. to want to do it or try to do it? Yeah, I, I like how Charles is like went in a rampage to like murder the system, and I'm like talking about murdering people who typed LOL on fucking Mario <laughs> Bava trailer YouTube video. Well, you know, we're all on uh, different paths. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Our own fucking Kaji-esque pursuit of carnage. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. One thing we didn't mention that I, I want to do before we close. Did you guys notice that the fucking title music to Zero Woman was like the same as the female convict scorpion song yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like oh my it's gosh it's the same but just miki sugimoto singing with like different words yeah <laughs> All right, quick editor's note, because when I was putting this episode together, I I mean, I knew that these songs sounded similar, but like, holy shit. All right, so you just listened to Miku Kaji's Urumi Bushi from Scorpion, Female Prisoner 701. Here is Miki Sugimoto singing Ray's Ballad from Zero Woman Red Handcuffs. See if you can note any similarities. I have one thing to bring up. It's not that big of a deal. But, like, I dipped my toes in the female or the Zero Woman sequels. They didn't come out all the way until the 90s. Yeah. And I got all of them, but only two of them uh, were dubbed in English. The rest, no subtitles, no nothing. So I just, like, kind of watched them a little bit. Yeah. They don't have, like, the fucking super stylized violence of this movie. Like, that definitely seems to belong to Toei of the 70s. For sure. I mean, by that time... In, in Japan, the best kind of movies were those, like, cyberpunk psycho movies. And not only that, these movies were, like, they were literally shot on video. They're very cheap. Yeah. And, but they do feel like late-night, mid-90s, like, HBO movies. And yeah. they have that kind of, like, PM entertainment yeah. sleaze to them. Which is okay. so fun. Okay. Which... which if you're going to reboot Zero Woman in the 90s, that seems like That's the route the to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. But none of them were even one one-hundredth as good as, as this movie. Very the, few this things are. This is, movie is probably, besides Female Prisoner Scorpion, my favorite. This is, oh, same. This is my second favorite yeah, uh, Pinky Violence film ever. I... I'm not you'd... good at picking. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Sorry to look at you like that. <laughs> like, no. Don't worry, Sam. You don't gotta pick. You don't gotta pick. Even some days, I would even take it over. I mean, even <gasps> though I recognize it, that that one's better. Wow, now you got an opinion. Well, on this one flip just the table over. This one, it's a bit more my thing. It's just yeah, so it's fucking it, ugly. It's like mean. a Polizia Teschi movie that just happens to be made by Japanese people, right? And it's also like like. There's no subplots or anything. It's literally like somebody threw you in a car and is going 120 miles per hour towards hell. 
You know, it never like someone, hits the somebody brakes. put that quote on the back <laughs> of the Blu-ray. Like even that final battle, it sounds like it feels like they're in hell. Like it, everything's blowing like they're in the fucking gates of yes. hell. Town. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Oh, my gosh. It's incredible. But and the fucking... it, it takes some of that from the second and third Scorpion movies, though. Yeah, that's yeah. True. It's like it's definitely influenced by those. Well, yeah. And it's all, all the better for it. Yeah, well, I mean, oh, like yeah. all of these movies, they they ex- they kind of exist in their own soup, where they're taking from some from. And, and I'm not saying that in a oh, disparaging yeah. way. No. It's the best. Yeah, if folks highly recommended from the Twitch of Death Nerve crew. Yeah, we yeah. love these movies. They're so and, fucking cool. But maybe don't start with Zero Woman Red Handcuffs. <laughs> no, that's what I did, and I, <laughs> I I don't recommend it. Honestly, the one that I would say is is great to start off with is uh what's the one we watched the other day female yakuza tale was the female yakuza tale yeah wait no i think the reiko ek one no 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 the one i'm thinking of is um a killing woman criminal melody oh criminal yeah. woman killing melody yeah okay i'm sorry <laughs> criminal close, <laughs> close. <laughs> hang on sam can you say it again criminal woman killing melody from 1973 which pits so we we haven't said this but Miki Sugimoto is in a shitload of movies with Reiko Ike, and usually they start out as enemies and they have to fight each other, sometimes in water, and they pull each other's shirts off. Oh, yeah, their tits are always dumping out in these fights. (laughs) And then they wind up become like having to help each other or becoming like tentative allies or sometimes just like punching each other and then laughing. It's great. That one to me felt like a very straightforward, by the numbers, girl gang pinky flick. Except for some reason, every single beat it hit was just like perfect. Yeah, that's you know? a great it, intro. Like, the most satisfying ending where like it has it just, the happiest ending. It felt so fucking good and like it, it, it was it was perfect. That's the that's a great introduction. And then I'd say move on to like the female convict yeah, what, flicks and then What what would you say? It, like if somebody said to you, I've never seen any one of these, which one should I start with? Not so if if we take Scorp the Scorpion series off right, the table. Right. Uh would I start with a, a Sukaban movie? Maybe not, because I mean, I don't want to just sound like um uh, it's on the top of my head because we did the episode, but I feel like a mainstream audience or not a mainstream audience, but somebody new to this, Zero Woman, it it just riles you up. It's it's perfect it's completely it's lean it's tightly wound it's ultra violent it's it's grimy i feel like it's a good primer yeah you know i i i accept that because it was my primer and look at me now my my first one i think i brought this up during the shogun assassin episode where the rika movies oh yeah that's a series we didn't mention yeah that's the toho trying to get into it well i haven't seen any of them I, i i think i brought it up i can't remember but like when i found shogun assassin I saw that there. This is back when Best Buy was cool, and they Hell had the martial yeah. arts. And the, it was it had this pretty like Japanese girl doing a kick, and it said story about this shameless slut named Rika on the fuck, <laughs> on the DVD cover at Best Buy. And I'm like, oh wow, okay, I'll check this out. And yeah, it was like it started with like uh, like a, a botched birth or possibly an abortion. It's been a while, and they just like leave it out in the beach. And then Rika grabs it and takes it to, like, the father who, like, abandoned the girl. And that's why, like, it got abortion or whatever. And then just beats the shit out of him. And it's like, oh, wow, this is a good 
start for this. All thing. right, I got to see that fucking flick. It's they're not the they're not that good. I mean, they're not bad. They're enjoyable, but like the Toei Nakatsu Pinky Violence movies were a bit yeah. better because the Toho ones still feel like they're not um as far in the game with the exploitation movie yeah. stuff like they still feel like a proper studio they're still shooting they're things too classy like, right right even even like on like a technical scale the, the camera is still like nailed down it's not yeah. like the fucking but handheld 16 millimeter or i feel whatever. that like now that i have like a real taste for these movies i mean i i have had this taste for years but like after watching so many in the last like couple weeks to prepare for this i I kind of feel like I'm going to like almost anyone you throw at me at yeah. this point. You know, I just I love the genre. I love the studios. I love these fucking people. And it's like, I, I bring did it a, on. I did at least 25 of these movies in a scattershot way, if not more. I watched a lot of the girl boss ones, which were fucking tight. But at the same time, it's like you you recognize all the tropes as we were talking about. They're earlier. so fun, though. Yeah. Oh, I love them. Uh, I love them. Mine, if you haven't seen any of these and you want a place to start that's not female prisoner scorpion i think it has to be female yakuza tale like for my recommendation it fucking starts off with reiko ike tits out fighting this entire group of dudes who she just demolishes and then the plot of the movie is she gets assaulted by these guys who basically tie her up and reach their hands into her vagina and they when they don't find anything they're like oh wrong person now we have to frame you for murder and so she's like what the fuck and starts investigating and basically finds out that these like low budget yakuza dudes are smuggling drugs in sex workers vaginas and that they thought that she was one and they were trying to get their drugs back from her and so she kind of like unites all these sex workers and takes on the Yakuza and it ends with it's this like glorious giant naked sauna fight. It, like it's I, like, I, just, I still it's need like to, I've only seen the dozens first one. and dozens of fucking naked ladies taking down these fucking people in this massive fucking battle in this drug lab and and it's like and there's so it's honestly it's really kind of confusing because there's so many different villains in it it has that like battles without honor thing yeah. going but in the end it's just this like psycho battle between all of them and it's so fucking cool all right you guys got any uh any shout outs you want to do <laughs> you mean other than naked knife fighting and yeah, yeah if any of the yakuza tries to you know manhandle you just get your friends together knock them to the ground and piss on them and then set their establishment yeah. on fire yeah. that's my shout out by the way <laughs> this entire episode sam has been recording with her tits out and a switchblade knife to john's throat <laughs> don't say anything i disagree with uh i want to shout out uh our boy clown waldrip again I, I shouted him out a few episodes ago he's got the zine called the list that's like all about video stores and his fourth issue is out now uh i did a little a little puff piece in it about orbit video place that me and john often often discuss um my only actual plug you know other than everything i just said is i was recently on an episode of cult movies podcast who we've also talked about in the past 
Uh, and the episode I guested on, we talked about Powell and Pressburger and their masterpiece, The Red Shoes, which is, you know, of course, a very different sort of thing than these pinky violence movies. Well, they're both red. Well, yeah, that, that's the sequel to Red Handcuffs, right? It, yeah. it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, zero ballerina red shoes. Red shoes that will kill you if you try yeah. to take them off. She just stomps rapist genitals until her <laughs> slippers are red yeah i don't know if if you've ever worn point shoes but the ends are like blocks like you could hit someone yeah. with them mm. this is awesome guys <laughs> oh. i do have a shout out i i wrote an article for the all we need is sleaze uh zine did you yeah on the, it's in the upcoming heavy metal horror uh, issue coming out oh sick so i think uh that should be out by then I, possibly yeah, it, i think it, yeah. i think they're monthly or no yeah they're they're monthly that that might be out now or this month at some point i'm not too sure sick cinepunks our network we fucking love you guys i mean we love everyone there but we especially love you liam yeah you fucking, thank you liam. liam you rock you know if you're listening liam helps uh run rough cut t-shirts fucking we have enough fucking rough cut shirts to fill a swimming pool they're they're awesome pick pick up yeah they even made some pinky violence shirts what did they do they did uh female convict scorpion oh yeah i want to say they made two or three of them i actually didn't get it because i own a million shirts and i'm trying to not keep buying them but i regret not getting the kaji shirt so i might have to buy it yeah oh man they put out a fucking uh uh extra matter space shirt and i didn't fucking get it i've been kicking myself ever since yeah check them out and there's also a couple of podcasts on our network uh the cinema smorgasbord just did an episode on when a stranger calls uh titled praising kane all about the great carol kane she's oh, wonderful oh my gosh i had the biggest crush on her when i was a kid and i would watch like taxi reruns on nick at night mafu cage, mafu cage oh the... yeah oh yeah and uh, and the horror business podcast just did a sequel double feature episode on Ghoulies Two and Pumpkinhead Two. Uh, John, when, when's the last time you seen Pumpkinhead Two? Uh, when I was a literal child, I rented it after seeing the first one, and I loved the first one, and I watched the second one. And... I've never seen it, but I. <laughs> I've heard it's bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I'll rewatch it. We should watch it in this October. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be I've, like a fun I've turd. been wanting to for a while. I remember liking it when I was a kid. I remember, like, this was, I watched them at your parents' old house, like, 15 years ago. Yeah. When Sci Fi Channel did, like, the back to back. Oh, three and four. Yeah, Pumpkinhead sequels. What? But, there like, are four Pumpkinhead they, movies? Been, three and four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were made for sci fi. Made for sci fi. And they were like, it was like, what a world. Like Hellraiser, like 16 and 17, oh when they came out the same day. Yeah. Bloodlines? What? Or no, that's the second one, I think. I can't remember. No, Blood, Blood Wings is the second one. No. The, the ashes oh, to pumpkin, Ashes. Pumpkin yeah, 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 yeah. We're on Pumpkinhead. Yeah. How many have Bloodlines? How many well, franchises? Bloodlines is a Hellraiser. Yeah, that's what I mean. How many franchises? Because that's four, right? Yeah, Bloodlines is four. Maybe we should have a Bloodlines marathon where every oh horror God. movie has its own. <laughs> Why do you I'd rather us? spill my Bloodlines all over the floor right now. 